Heads up, because you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood for November 3rd, 2022. Coming up this week, the Phils, can they take the title? Series 2022 is in full effect. Take a look at the game, past and present. And if the Astros can dig their way out of the hole, the NBA says they're trying to rein in their spin. Right, easier said than done. Take a deep dive on what the NBA owners are trying to plan. An NHL team at a college rink doesn't make sense, but I'll investigate and bring you the details. We'll have NFL Week 9, back dap, head slap, the Hoodwood Hot Five returns along with Snuffy. He's back from his fishing trip. And is Kyrie Irving really trying to get canceled? Look at that in the final word from the wood. All that and a whole lot. It's called Sports from the Hoodwood. Put on your crash helmet, pump your seatbelt, and get ready. Let's go. Returned from his fishing trip. Maybe he was with Aaron Judge. He, well, actually, was says he's with. He was with Judge. I fixed the microphone. I had somebody tell me that part of it coming apart was distracting, so I fixed that and try to fix a whole bunch of other things in the mix. I'm your man, KJ Green, welcoming you back to another exciting edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. It's November. And we're still in the middle of the World Series. That's the only thing that I don't like about the expanded playoffs is that we're running into November and we haven't all the way got through the World Series. The Phillies have a 2-1 lead with the fourth game being played as the show is being taped. So we might have a 2-2 split going to a pivotal fifth game on Thursday. Or the Phillies might have pushed out to a 3-1 lead and one of the biggest Playoff runs and upsets, possibly in history. I mean, people may have said the 2004 Cardinals with 84 wins got high at the right time, or the 87 Twins who only won 85 games got high at the right time. The Phillies had to defeat three teams that were on paper or at least in the standings, better than them. And I can hear all the purists, all, oh, the 11th best team's going to win the World Series. What is going to do? Deal with it. That's what I say. <laughs> the, 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 the Phillies, after firing Joe Girardi on June 1st, Rob Thompson made that team hungry, lean, laid back, and they just keep coming. This is a team that most people wrote off, including myself, when the Phillies made the playoffs. And I'm like, the Phillies made the playoffs? Oh, that's nice. They'll have a nice cameo appearance. I said so. Three weeks ago, I said so on these very airwaves that the Cardinals were going to shoo them out of the playoffs. The Phillies beat the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Padres. All three of those teams... I dare say was better on paper or at least standings wise than the Phillies were. And now they have the Astros, the class of the American League, who hadn't broke even broke a sweat in the American League playoffs. Winning, having the first round bye out of the wild card round and beating the Mariners and the Yankees in three and four games respectively. But then game one comes up, and I like Justin Verlander. I, I really do. I think he's a great pitcher. He's going to have a bust in Cooperstown someday. But when it comes to the World Series, he just cannot close the deal. I mean, I read a stat earlier that Madison Baumgartner, if he gave up home runs to his next 34 
batters, he would still have a lower ERA than Justin Verlander does now. That's sad. A big money pitcher like Justin Verlander not being as big time in the biggest of games, on the biggest of stages. Clayton Kershaw had that moniker dog him for quite a while until he got on a nice run in the 2020 playoffs. And a lot of people say that World Series title should have an asterisk because of the shortened season, that the Dodgers would have found a way to mess that up. But Clayton Kershaw has his ring. Justin Verlander does have a ring from the, albeit pockmarking, much maligned 2017 squad of Astros that won the title. But this was a chance for Verlander to right the wrong. This was a chance for Verlander to finally stamp himself as a big time, big game, big money pitcher. And he hasn't done it. And the Phillies, scrappy, won't go away. That lop-eared muck, junkyard dog type that rallied from a 5-0 deficit. The Astros were hitting the ball. They were hitting the ball all over the place. They had three straight doubles to start. And then when they won game two, you're thinking, okay, maybe some semblance has been restored. But the Phillies, backed by that crazy crowd at Citizens Bank Park, thrashed the Astros in game three. Now, like I said, the show right now is being taped before game four. But the thing is, if the Astros don't win game four, they're in a mess of trouble. A mess of trouble, even with home field advantage. They still have to win a game in Philly, then win two games back in back in Houston at Minute Maid Park. Do they have the chops to win it? I, I, I still think that they, they'll win in six. But they're in a whole mess of trouble if they don't win game four and if they have to go back to Houston down 3-2, you're asking a lot from a team, though they have won the title before, but that's still asking a lot. There's trouble brewing, and, and that's for sure. The NBA looks to be in pretty solid labor health, and, I mean, we've had already had lockouts and strikes and everything for other sports. But relatively speaking, the last decade, the NBA has enjoyed bountiful labor health. But there could be trouble brewing on the horizon. Let me explain. The NBA has, as many people know, what they call a soft salary cap. Not like the NFL where they have a hard salary cap where you can only spend so much over so many players and if you don't have the money you can't buy you can't uh get players on your team if you cannot exceed that cap whereas the nba has a soft salary cap where you can exceed said cap but it comes with a luxury tax penalty now as it stands right now 20 of the 30 nba teams are below the said salary cap now salary cap is going to go up um here in the cup coming years with added revenue and an incredibly big media deal with streaming deals and everything to come on the horizon in the next couple of years, the NBA is they're having unprecedented financial uh, prosperity. The teams are making money. I mean, there are franchises who are, are worth in the north of a billion dollars. And you don't have where there was a situation you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, where there were teams that were in serious jeopardy of folding, going under. I mean, I remember reading once about the Indiana Pacers having to have a telethon to get a number of season tickets to be able to keep the team afloat. Now, something like that isn't going to happen, especially with the media deals with ESPN and TNT raining literally billions of dollars onto the NBA, not to mention the streaming services, NBA TV and everything. And those are set to rise exponentially. The point of the mat, the point of the topic here is this. The NBA owners now are seeking a 
hard salary cap, something like the NFL has. Now, you you already have teams like the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Nets who have passed the uh, salary cap limit and pay a very hefty luxury tax bill. Last year, they were responsible of for 76% of the luxury tax that was paid out to the NBA. Now, luxury tax is supposed to be a penalty. You know, you spend too much, you have to be, you're penalized. Usually, it's a dollar and a quarter for every dollar that you go over the cap. And then once you get past a certain, another limit, it's a dollar and a half. Well, a team like the Warriors, when they wanted to sign players like Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, they exceeded that salary cap way past the salary cap. Now, we're not even talking about the money that was given to Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. We're talking about players, decent players in their own right, but players who are, eh, they got fringe money. But the Warriors have spent so far past the salary cap that they're getting a humongous tax bill. I mean, the the, the luxury tax bill for the coming season is almost a half a billion dollars. Not a half a million, not 50 million, $483 million. That's not the salary that they're paying out. That's the luxury cap. That's a tax that they're paying out above that. And, and, And... the NBA, the players are, they don't care that, you know, they're, they're, as long as they're getting paid, the owners and the players association are quietly coming to loggerheads because the NBA wants to rein in spending. They want to pull back. They want to, you know, they want fiscal responsibility. Now, what it is, is they want the, they want to prevent the owners from themselves. It's like this in Major League Baseball. It was like this before, you know, before the season started. This is the reason why the the Major League Baseball season is running a week late. I mean, they had to make up the games. They made up the, all the games, but they started two weeks late because of a lockout. Because the owners want the players to save them from themselves. And the NBA looks at, and everybody looks at the NFL. NFL, hard salary cap. They keep their spending on lock. But the NBA also has non-guaranteed contracts. The NBA, all their contracts are fully guaranteed. MLB, all their contracts are fully guaranteed. You have a type of financial system in the NBA where you can resign your own players. They call that bird exception, where you can go over the salary cap to sign your own players. Now, getting other players... From other teams, it's a little bit much more of a financial gymnastics. That being said, the salary cap and the soft salary cap allows your smaller teams, your Milwaukee's, your Indiana's, uh, your Charlotte's, to, to be able to get players, develop them, and keep them. Unlike Major League Baseball, where you have teams like the Pirates, the Reds, uh, uh, the 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 Rockies, the the you have all some of these smaller market teams, the Brewers, that they get these players, good players, but after six years, they're off to free agency, and the team is either unable or sometimes unwilling to spend the money to keep them. That means teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, uh, and to a lesser extent. Some teams like the Mets, the Cardinals, to be able to swoop in, take these players that have already been cultivated and reap the benefits of their better years. Whereas you have smaller teams that have to spend a whole bunch of money to keep one player, like the Cincinnati Reds have done with Joey Votto, further hamstringing themselves. The NBA sees something like that and they want to rein in their own spending. But, you also have teams, like I said, smaller market teams that are able to keep their superstars. For example, Milwaukee with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Under other labor deals, 
he would have jumped a free agency and went off somewhere else. And there and and the rumor mill was going really big. Giannis is gonna jump. He's gonna go to the Dubs. He's gonna go to the Heat. He's gonna go. He stayed in Milwaukee. Signed an extension. Stayed in Milwaukee. The flexibility of that soft salary cap made that possible. The N- the NBA wants to, as they say, rein in their spending and make it so teams can't go wildly over the salary cap and just pay the luxury tax bill and keep on going. Owners like Steve Ballmer, who is crazy rich from Microsoft money, he doesn't care. He just writes out the check. But then you have more of the family-based operations in the NBA. They're not so willing to go over the salary cap that much and pay that big of a luxury tax bill. And you have to wonder how much of an impact that's going to make. Like I said, the players don't care. The players are, are, you know, they're just like, show me the money. They don't care if they're staying on the play team they're going to play on, they, they, they've come up on, or m- move. Player movement has always been pretty much easy to do. If player wants to move, if they're a restricted free agent, team can match the, the, the signing sheet and keep them. They can go over the salary cap to do so, like DeAndre Aiden did with the Suns. But you're going to have... What the NBA Players Association fears is a cooling of salaries and a dampening of player movement. Something that quietly the NBA wants to keep players in their same markets, restrict their salaries, but still reap all the benefits of the money that's raining down on them. And there's a lot of money and they can say, well, they can't cry poor because there's a lot of money that is coming down. Let's take a time out. Come back with an NHL team at a college ring. Is that possible? Could that happen? We'll look into it. Sports and Hood will continue after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's premier destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact-checks, your host, K.J. Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. I'm K.J. Green, and let's shift gears to hockey. Now, I lived in Minnesota for a number of years, and I can tell you firsthand that that state lives for hockey. Now, now, don't get me wrong. The Vikings, Twins, Timberwolves are all held in very high esteem in Minnesota. And the Minnesota Wild, as the pro team, has revived local interest in the pro version of the sports since they uh, returned to St. Paul in 2000 after eight years of dormant status. But the real love in Minnesota is the high school and the college games. And when I moved up there in the late 90s, I was surprised to see so many outdoor open air rinks where you would see who, uh, you know, basketball courts where I'm at in the Hoodwood in Minnesota, you saw hockey rinks, both indoor and outdoor. The love for the sport in that state is <laughs> off the charts. Minnesota has no less than five, count them, one, two, three, four, five D1 programs, Bemidji State, Minnesota Mankato, uh, Minnesota Duluth, St. Cloud States, that's Snuffy's team, the Huskies, and the University of Minnesota, all of which made the NCAA hockey tournament in 2021. So the teams that are in Minnesota, they're not just teams, they're good teams. I've been to the venue at St. Cloud, the Herb Brooks uh, National Hockey Center in St. Cloud. That could rival some pro venues for the intensity, the the atmosphere. And 
it their the fans are knowledgeable, passionate, and very very loyal. You know, and I didn't know that there was a college program in Arizona. That Arizona State has a college program that they do, and they're they're the primary tenant at Mullet Arena in Tempe. I say prime tenant because the secondary tenant is the Arizona Coyotes. Now, now you say, wait, 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 wait. Arizona Coyotes, isn't that the NHL team? Yes. The Arizona Coyotes, who were playing at the smallest arena in the NHL, at the uh, at the Gila River Arena in Glendale, which was 17,125, are now playing at Mullet Arena. Capacity, 5,000. Now you're saying, is this renovations on arena? No. Are you saying, you know, are they trying to move? Are they trying to force a move? No. They want to stay in Arizona. Their plans for a $1.6 billion uh, entertainment district in Tempe, not too far from Arizona State University, that the Coyotes have gotten initial uh, uh, approval to uh, begin funding for the building of that arena. But that's not going to be for another three years. The Gila River uh, Arena in Glendale, which were the Coyotes' former landlord, couldn't come to any kind of agreement for them to stay in that arena. So they gave them the boot. Gave them the eviction notice. Say, hey, you ain't got to stay. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. And the Coyotes basically were without a home. So they struck a deal with Arizona State University to play in Mullet Arena, capacity 5,000. Now, of course, this had to go through some wrangling with the NHL. And, 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 and it, I think it's, it's funny in a way, and it's sad that the team got booted out of their own arena. They can't play in the Footprint Center in downtown Phoenix, where the Suns play at because the configurations for the arena aren't going to work and the dates that they want are not suitable. This all happened within the last couple of months. They struck a deal with Arizona State and they will be staying. This isn't just a one season thing. They are stay signed a lease agreement to play at this arena for the next three years. So that means the teams like the Rangers, the, the Red Wings, the Blackhawks, the Kings, the the Mighty Ducks, even the the, the, the the neophytes like the Knights and the Seattle Kraken. Still can't get over that name, Kraken. They will be playing as visitors in a very small, very small arena, which is less than a third of the capacity of even the smallest arena in the NHL. But the Coyotes are you trying to use this to their advantage with a rowdy student section, you know, trying to cater to the Arizona State fans. And the fans that are there, very loyal, very loud, and according to the uh, New York Rangers, who played there just recently, very intimidating. But I still can't, I, I still can't get my, my mind around it. The Cincinnati Cyclones, which is close to the hood, would play at Heritage Bank Arena in downtown Cincinnati. The capacity of that arena is a little over 14,000. That's three times the size of Mullet Arena. And you can bet your bottom dollar that on Friday night, they're going to outdraw that NHL team. And they are not triple A, but double A hockey. Did you think that Arizona, that the Arizona Coyotes couldn't have come up with a better plan? Yes, they're going to be trying to build their own arena that they would be owning, but the lack of foresight is troubling. But the NHL went along with it. So for the next three years, if you ever see a game in Arizona, it's live from the Mullet Center, and no, it's not an illusion. The arena is that small. Let's take another timeout. Come back with NFL Week 9 Picks. Did okay last week. We're going to see if we can get that uh, number into double digits. Knock on wood. And see if we can uh, get some more picks, even though it's a smaller week, a little bit of a lighter week in lieu of the World Series. Sports from the Hoodwood comes back at you after this. 
Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollar, look no further than where you are right now. You can advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Banner Productions Enterprises can create commercial content that drives sales and gets results. You can send your inquiries to ads at blackbannerproductions.com. Black Banner Productions and Enterprises. Sounds, ideas, and images for the 21st century. You are tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for opinion, analysis, and insight on the world of sports. Here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and four Canadian provinces, and not to mention Guam. Your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. I am KJ Green, and let's take a look at the NFL Week 9 picks. And hey, it's two Thursdays in a row that I actually got it right. And a pick and upset sweep. Hey, I may actually have the hang of this uh, NFL prognostication thing. But I'm not bragging that much. Try to keep it going this week with the picks. We are in the very middle of the season. We've done eight weeks. Got this ninth week. And then there are eight weeks after. And... I'm still not a big fan of the Thursday night games, though. I do like that the NFL is trying to schedule teams either later in the day or that Sunday and Monday night for the a little bit of a longer buy, a little bit longer turnaround in lieu of them having to play a short week. But this week is heavy with buys. There are only 13 games on the docket this week. Um, I don't know if they were keeping it light for the World Series, which could be possibly playing a Game 7 on Sunday. But in any effect, the Browns, Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, Steelers, and 49ers are on their respective buys. So for your review, approval, and perusal are the Week 9 picks with the ESPN bringing you the odds for comparison and entertainment purposes only. And as usual, I don't pay bookies, so if you bet the lines and lose... That's on you. Let's start out with the Thursday night game. There will be the 7-0 Eagles taking on the 1-5-1 Texans at NRG Stadium in Houston. 8-15 kickoff on Amazon Prime. The Eagles are 14-point favorites. Last week, the Eagles defeated the Steelers 35-13, while the Texans lost to the Titans 17-10. Now, the Eagles showed zero signs of rust off their own by and pounded the Steelers mercilessly. Meanwhile, the Texans got run over, literally, by Derrick Henry and the Titans. Now, while the Eagles don't have a Thundercat-type back in their backfield, they can still run the ball with effectiveness, and Jalen Hurts is a monster. The Houston Texans cannot get out of their own way, and this, even though it's at in Houston, may very well be one of the ugliest games of the year. We're going to get it right off the top. The Eagles, Philadelphia, are the Hoodwood Lock of the Week. Let's turn to the Sunday game, shall we? The uh, This is a CBS doubleheader week. There's a regional early games, and then there's a national game. CBS has the 425 game all to itself. There aren't any other 425 games. There's only one other 405 game. Like I said, the light docket this week. Check your local listings for the games that are being played in your area, or you can consult the uh, 506sports.com. Uh, site. They have a very excellent coverage map for the games that are being played in your area. We'll start out for the games of Sunday, November 6th. And remember, all team games are Eastern Standard Time now. You should have fallen back with your clocks. Let's start out with the 4-3 Chargers taking on the 4-4 Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Chargers are three-point favorites. Last week, the Chargers were on their bye. While the Falcons defeated the Panthers 37 to 34 in overtime, the rested Chargers head east face the first place Falcons. That is not a typo. The Falcons are actually in first place with a four and four record in the NFC South. The, the Falcons have no problem scoring points. It's their leaky defense is the problem. The Chargers shouldn't have any issue picking it apart. And it's well known how I don't like West Coast teams heading east to play games. 
especially at the one o'clock time slot. But I think that they should be able to grind out a win here. I'm not, I'm calling it up an upset because West Coast teams usually heading east are deadbeat, but not this time. The pick is the Los Angeles Chargers. That is the Hoodwood upset of the week. Next on the docket, we have the five and three Dolphins taking on the three and five Bears at Soldier Field in Chicago. One p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Dolphins are five point favorites. Last week, the Dolphins defeated the Lions thirty-one to twenty-seven while the Bears lost to the Cowboys 49-29. to Now, the Dolphins' offense rallied smartly, twice in fact, to beat the Lions in Motown, while the Bears got poleaxed by the Pokes in Dallas. The Bears have a new offensive toy in the newly acquired Chase Claypool, but one has to wonder if the Bears' offense is going to be wise enough to be able to use him in in an effective way. Now, the Dolphins are getting their collective groove back under Tua Takavailoa, And for beleaguered Bears defense, that is not a good thing, even at home. The pick here is Miami. Next on the docket, we have the 6-1 Vikings taking on the 4-4 Commanders. FedEx Field, Landover, Maryland, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Vikings are 3.5-point favorites. Last week, the Vikings defeated the Cardinals 34-26, while the Commanders defeated the Colts 17-16. Now, the Vikings continue to play that high-wire uh, frightening act, at least not good for my constitution, to be honest. And they face a commander's team that has quietly put together a three-game winning streak to edge on the periphery of the playoff hunt. The Vikings' offense has been putting up points at a healthy clip, to be sure, and their defense seems to play good enough to protect leads late. In a frank assessment, the commanders have been winning with mirrors. I do not know how they've been doing it. Now, I was surprised to find out that they had won three in a row. I was like, what, three? Well, yeah, they have won three in a row. But I think even being at home, it, it just doesn't help them. And despite playing very capably under the decent Taylor Heineke, they aren't that good, to be perfectly honest. I get the feeling that the Vikings will again struggle to put a lesser team away but they will win a slug-it-out type victory. The pick here is Minnesota. Next on the docket, we have the 2-5 and five Raiders taking on the 2-6 and six Jaguars at TIA Bank Field in Jacksonville. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Raiders are favored by 1.5 points. Last week, the Raiders lost to the Saints 24 to nothing, while the Jaguars lost to the Broncos 21-17. The Raiders looked horrible last week after ringing up 38 points against, obviously, uh, albeit a punchless Houston team. They didn't cross the 50-yard line at all in the game until two minutes were left in the game in New Orleans. They looked beyond anemic getting shut out. Now they continue on east to face a road-weary Jags team who was coming back right off of a week in London, and they played very uneven, losing to the Broncos. They're pretty sad when a defense makes a Broncos offense looks competent. But this is another one of those I don't trust either team game. And I hate these type of games because you don't know which team's going to show up. Is it going to be the Raiders who will be able to ring up points like they did against the Texans or the one that didn't have a clue against the Saints? Is it going to be the Jags team that stunned the Chargers or is it going to be the one that Look like they really didn't even care and losses to the Colts and, and the Broncos. I know whoever I pick will make me look like a bumbling idiot. I think the Jags have more practice at it, though. So I'm going to pick the Raiders, who I think are more likely to bounce back. The pick here is Las Vegas. Next on the docket, we have the 3-5 and five Packers taking on the 1-6 and six Lions at Ford Field, Detroit. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Packers are 3.5-point favorites last week. Uh, Packers lost to the Bills 27-17, while the Lions lost to the Dolphins 31-27. The Packers are still searching for answers, and they're still searching for a competent wide receiver that Aaron Rodgers can trust. And they're not finding either. But when in doubt, bring the Lions out. The Lions found their offense, but their defense still is MIA. And they blew a pair of double-digit leads at home against Miami. And you could just hear and see Aaron Rodgers salivating, chomping at the bit to get after a Lions defense that gives up points the way they do. Packers are bad, but they aren't sad sack yet like the Lions are. And even on the road, the Packers are better. The pick here is Green Bay. 
Next on the docket, we have the two and six Panthers taking on the four and four Bengals at Pecor Stadium in Cincinnati. One o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Bengals are seven point favorites. Last week, the Panthers lost to the Falcons 37 to 34, while the Bengals lost to the Browns 32 to 13. The Panthers had the game won against the Falcons on a late touchdown and a Hail Mary and then blew it with a dumb penalty that ended up missing the extra point, forcing the game to overtime where the Falcons were able to escape. Meanwhile, the Bengals <laughs> embarrassed themselves on prime time on the road against the Browns to my sugar in and another prime time fastball. Now the Panthers' anemic rush will be tonic to the Bengals' offense. He got battered by the withering Browns' pass rush, but I think that the Bengals will bounce back smartly to pick his Cincinnati. Take a timeout, come back with the rest of the NFL picks. Hollywood continues to this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood, and we'll continue with nine NFL picks with the 6-1 Bills taking on the 5-3 Jets. At MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS, the Bills are 13-point favorites. Last week, the Bills defeated the Packers 27-17, while the Jets lost to the Patriots 22-17. The Bills looked almost methodical, almost bored and slapping around the Packers on Sunday night. Now they head downstate to face the Jets, who suddenly look very mortal against a very average Patriots squad. Now, I think the Bills' defense should confuse rookie quarterback Zach Wilson enough that they'll get enough picks and points to make the job that Josh Allen have very much easy. And with Josh Allen and that offense, boy, they can stack up points in a hurry. I think the Bills should be good to go. The pick here is Buffalo. Next on the docket, we have the 3-4-1 Colts taking on the 4-4 Patriots at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Patriots are 5.5-point favorites. Last week, the Colts lost to the Commanders 17-16, while the Patriots defeated the Jets 22-17. Now, the Colts fell apart late against a very beatable Washington squad, while the Pats do what they always do when they go head to Gotham, beat the Jets. Now, while the Pats have their problems, especially at quarterback, you can tell Bill Belichick still has no confidence in Mac Jones. They still have enough on the ball to beat the Colts, who are still trying to find their way under Sam Ellinger. The pick here is New England. Turning to the late, late turning to the late games, easy for me to say, we have the 5 and 3 Seahawks taking on the 3 and 5 Cardinals at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. 405 kickoff on Fox. The Cardinals are 2-point favorites. Last week the Seahawks defeated the Giants 27 to 13 while the Cardinals lost to the Vikings 34-26. Now, the Seahawks won with surprising ease over the G-Men, now head to the desert to face the Cardinals, who are the definition of uneven. They can't win at home. Kyler Murray is still getting used to having a beast number, a wide receiver number one like DeAndre Hopkins. Meanwhile, the Seahawks just keep winning. Not necessarily with mirrors, but no one expected the season that Geno Smith has had and Kenneth Walker is looking more and more like a top flight rookie of the year candidate. I think the Seahawks pound the ball at the Cards' weak run defense and that carries the day. The pick is Seattle. Next on the docket, we have the 3-4 and four Rams taking on the 3-5 and five Buccaneers at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. 425 kickoff on CBS. I know these are NFC teams, but CBS has this game. The Buccaneers are three-point favorites. 
Last week, the Rams lost to the 49ers 31-14, while the Bucks lost to the Ravens 27-22. This is a rematch of last year's thrilling divisional playoff game that went overtime, but both teams are shadows of their once-dominant selves and are seeking a season-saving win. The Rams are trying to stay afloat in the uber-tough NFC West, and while the NFC South isn't as dominant as as its logjam, Bucks are trying to stave off challenges from the Falcons and Saints to stay on top of that division. Both Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady have seen better days, and both defense are look, defenses are looking pretty shabby. But to be perfectly honest, as shady and suspect as Bucks have played, I think the Rams have played worse, and I'll take the lesser of two evils. The pick is Tampa Bay. Snuffy likes a Sunday night game. So do I. It's 5-2 Titans against the 5-2 Chiefs. G-E-H-A field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Chiefs are 12.5 point favorites. I had to double check that, but that's right. The Chiefs are 12.5 point favorites. Last week, the Titans defeated the Texans 17-10 while the Chiefs were on their bye. Now, this game is fascinating. The Titans are quietly on top of the AFC South while the Chiefs have done the heavy work to stay on top of AFC West. The Titans are still going to go as far as Derrick Henry takes them, and against lesser opponents like, say, the Houston Texans, that should be enough. The Titans can grind their way to wins, but against a high-powered team like the Chiefs, that's asking a little too much. That's a totally different matter. The pick here is Kansas City. Finally, we have on the Monday night game the 5-3 Ravens taking on the 3-5 Saints, at Caesars Superdome in New Orleans, 8-15 kickoff on ESPN, the Ravens are three-point favorites. Last week, the Ravens defeated the Buccaneers 27-22, while the Saints shut out the Raiders 24-0. Now, the Saints backed up Alvin Kamara's boast that they were going to kick the Raiders' ass. They did so, shutting them out, keeping them from beyond the 50-yard line till very late in the game. But, their deep, while their defense held the Raiders to 183 yards, that's going to be a little bit of a taller order facing a more competent offense like the Ravens. A team that doesn't force turnovers is looking like dead meat to the Ravens, who slugged their way to an ugly but effective win last Thursday. While the Saints played better the week previous, the Ravens are a lot more dynamic than the Raiders. The pick is Baltimore, and there you have it. Last week I was 9-5 with the lock and upset correct. Overall, I'm 70, 51 and 1, and 5 and 3 on both the locks and upsets. Let's take our final timeout, come back with the Hoodwood Hot 5, that dapping head slap, as well as the final word from the Woods. Sports from the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollar, look no further than where you are right now. You can advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Bennett Productions Enterprises can create commercial content that drives sales and gets results. You can send your inquiries to ads at blackbennettproductions.com. Black Bennett Productions and Enterprises. Sounds, ideas, and images for the 21st century. From the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for no-nonsense commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, KJ Green. Rounding third and headed for home here in the Hoodwood. Let's finish up strong with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Dap and Head Slap, and the final word from the Wood. Our Hoodwood Hot Five 
unlike the CFP, has five teams that we think are the best in the nation. Now, the AP may say something, ESPN might say something, but it's the Hoodwood Hot Five that really matters. So, let's go from five to one. And number five, we have the Clemson Tigers, who were off last week. They are still 8-0. They face Notre Dame in what the CFP is praying is an ambush waiting to happen in South Bend. Now, Notre Dame, of course, being a decent team, but they're not nationally ranked. And if Clemson should fall in South Bend, give CFP just as good an excuse to get rid of them. No matter that's not only their first loss, but still, that would be a reason for them. So what? They might be the ACC champions again. So what? It's a reason to get rid of them. And I still believe the CFP wants, desires two of the four teams to be in the CFP from the Southeastern Conference. At number four, we have Michigan. 29-7 winners over Michigan State, which is marred by the ugly brawl at the end of that game, which we'll detail later in Fat Dap and Head Slap. But they're ranked fourth right now. They're 8-0. Their next game is at Rutgers in New Jersey. Right now, their schedule favors them. And I said that it was an easy schedule all the way down the stretch. Playing Rutgers, no big deal. Playing Nebraska, no big deal. But ahead of that Ohio State game, ah, 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 there's Illinois waiting in the weeds. What the CFP, I'm pretty sure, is hoping is that Michigan loses to Illinois and then trips up Ohio State, thereby eliminating them both. So that a one-loss Alabama now has an excuse to get back into the picture. If all these teams are undefeated, you really can't keep, you can't really put or justify a one-loss team being in the mix. But if Michigan and Ohio State both eliminate each other, then all things, they would say all things considered equal, they would say, oh, Alabama's played the tougher schedule. I still think it's a load of bull, but that's the way the CFP plays. Right now with four teams, you really can't justify a one-loss team with a bunch of undefeated teams still in it. Moving on, our number three team is Georgia. They beat Florida 42-20 in Jacksonville and now face number one Tennessee. Wow, Tennessee, number one, Georgia, number three. As a high-stakes showdown for the SEC East, the winner Still has the inside track to, to, to Atlanta. The loser, that might be all she wrote. Because I cannot see justifying a team that did not win its division and did not play in its conference championship game, passing that all by and getting to the college football playoff. I don't think that's right. Our number two team is Tennessee. The aforementioned Vols beat UK, beat them badly, 44-6. Love them black and orange uniforms. Those were sharp. Playing it at Nyland Stadium at night, the place was rocking. Kentucky had no chance. Tennessee blew them out, and now they didn't look past them to Georgia and now face the undefeated Bulldogs in Sanford Stadium this coming Saturday. This basically is an elimination game. The winner, like I said, moves one step close to Atlanta. The loser is pretty much done. Whoever loses this game will be out of the Hoodwood Hot Five. And of course, our number one team, is Ohio State. They struggled with Penn State down the stretch and were behind 21-16 in the fourth quarter. But with nine minutes to play, the Buckeyes woke up and scored 28 points. Now, granted, some of it was on a pick six, but still, Ohio State came up aces when they needed to, blowing out the, the Nittany Lions in Happy Valley. The next game is at Northwestern. That's the only game that they play in the central time zone in their entire schedule. Ohio State may have a pretty much a cakewalk till they play Michigan, but still, they're undefeated, and until they're beaten, they will remain the number one team in the Hoodwood Hot Five. That's my Hot Five. What's yours? Now our Fat Dap Head Slap of the Week, our Fat Dap goes to University of Michigan head football coach Jim Harbaugh, who was very vocal and adamant about seeking uh, not retaliation, but 
some sort of justice for his assaulted players. Now, at the end of the, I've, I mentioned before that Michigan beat Michigan State 29-7 in Ann Arbor. And at the end of the game, as the players were leaving the field, there was a brawl in the tunnel. And I won't say it was a brawl. It was a number of Michigan State players assaulting one Michigan player. This wasn't your usual pushing and shoving and finger pointing and noise talking. This was assault. There were helmets being swung. There were kicks. There were punches. And to Michigan State's credit, and their head coach Mel Tucker, who basically announced that defensive ends Jacoby Windman, Brandon Wright, and cornerbacks Justin White and Malcolm Jones have been suspended indefinitely. And previously, Michigan State has suspended linebackers Tank Brown, safety Angelo Gross, and defensive end Zena, Zena, I'm big pardon, Zion Young and cornerback Kari Crump for their involvement. The way that Michigan handled this, calling for uh, a swift punishment of these players for their actions, and especially the way J uh, Jim Harbaugh went, was very vocal in what happened. Like I said, this wasn't your ordinary pushing and shoving and, and finger pointing. Somebody could have really gotten hurt. You lose the game, you lose the game. Be upset, be mad. Fighting with the other players because you lost just makes you look stupid. It makes you look like a sore loser. And Michigan State, after getting their butts handed to them, look that very much the part. Our head slap of the week goes to Eric Burton. Now, I will admit, I had never heard of this, this singer, uh, lead singer of the group called the Black Pumas, but he messed up the national anthem before game one of the World Series badly. The lyrics he butchered. Now, I have sung the national anthem, not by myself. I'm not that good of a singer. I got cut from the choir in the fourth grade and in college. But I was part of the University of Cincinnati Men's and Women's Choir, and we sung the national anthem before Reds game and before a UC football game. That's a tough song to sing. Me, I'm able to hide my somewhat semi-singing voice in the middle of a group. But I know the words. You know, the oh say can you see and everything. But instead of saying hail at the twilight's last gleaming, he said twilight's last streaming. Wait a minute, what? And then he continued correctly with whose broad stripes and bright stars to the perilous fight. But then instead of, oh, the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, he backtracked again to what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last streaming again before saying gleaming and then finishing the song uneventful. Learn the words, man. Head slap to Eric Burton for not at least having a song sheet to remember the words. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. I'm not one to repeat final word topics, but this is a subject that needs to be repeated. I don't get Kyrie Irving. You know, I know he's trying to come off as this counterculture thinker and he's been seeing burning sage at opposing arenas to ward off bad spirits and espousing this free think mentality and promoting ideas and topics that could be considered radical among other things. He now faces a backlash at a statement that he made recently, this time promoting an anti-Semitic film and book on his social media accounts. Now the film that is entitled Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, is a 2018 film based on a 2015 book of the same name and is based on the theory that black people are the real descendants of ancient Israelites. Now that isn't the part that's causing trouble, it's the championing, championing of the claims that European Jews wield some sort of outsized control over society. The thing is that Irving continues to double and triple down vociferously defending his posts. That's a bit amusing to me since he deleted his initial tweets, yet defended the statements and posts all the same. Now, Brooklyn Nets owner Joe Tsai and the NBA have both released individual statements condemning Irving's promotion of the material and have strongly advised him to repudiate his advocacy of the same. Now, on this point, 
Irving has been steadfast in his defense of his advocation, saying, and I quote here, nah, this is what's here. It's on a public platform. Did I do anything illegal? Did I hurt anybody? Did I harm anybody? Am I going out and saying that I hate one specific group of people? So out of all the judgment that people got for me posting without talking to me, and then I respect what Joe Sy said, but there has a lot to do with not ego or pride of how proud I am to be of African heritage, but also to be living as a free black man here in America, knowing the historical complexities for me to get here, end quote. Now, I'm not one to have issues with one's theories, movie watching or book reading. Do what you want, watch what you want, read what you want. It's still a free country, but keep it to yourself. It's when you start promoting such movies on social media, when you start espousing these goofy conspiracy theories, many, if not all, which are baseless, that's when I take umbrage. Irving has this exaggerated sense of self. He wants to be this free thinker, and he puts out these statements, promotes these ideas, but gets antsy when someone calls him on the things that are either blatantly wrong or so out of touch that instead of looking like a learned brother, he comes off looking unknowing or just downright ignorant. He made statements that he's not a supporter of conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, despite posting a video of the disgraced media figure referring to secret societies here in America. Now, I've detailed the inane comments that Irving has made over the years. They've been documented in this space numerous times, and I won't go into detail about them again. This is just exacerbating the point. I've made. Irving seems to want to be canceled out, cry victim and make this big play to eat so he can either walk away from the Nets or basketball altogether. Now, while Irving is undoubtedly a generational talent, if he left, he would be missed briefly but not mourned. I think the basketball populace has grown increasingly tired of his act, and like Kanye West, I refuse to call that man ye, he is getting pushed aside to the point where he is highly marginalized and ignored. I'm not advocating punishing dissenting speech, not one bit. But to advocate a racist trope is just wrong, and the NBA will be fully in its power and very correct to punish Irving for his stance and his initial refusal to repudiate his words. Now, as this show was being taped, it was announced that Irving and the Brooklyn Nets each donated $500,000 quote, to causes and organizations that work to eradicate hate and intolerance in our communities. Now, they issued in a joint statement with the Anti-Defamation League uh, earlier this evening, earlier on Wednesday when they might tape this show. While Irving made a statement as part of the joint announcement with the Anti-Defamation League, as part of Wednesday's joint statement, Irving said, and I quote again, he opposes all forms of hatred, and oppression and stand strong with communities that are marginalized and impacted every day, end quote. So what is Kyrie Irving's endgame? What is the purpose of all of this? If Irving was trying to foster discussion on racism and its early roots, he went about it in the worst possible way. I highly encourage folks to read for themselves, study up, make an informed decision, foster discussion for the greater good. To advocate a patently racist and highly discredited work that out for review and consumption is not the way to go. Especially given the messy situation that Kanye West has got himself into in the past week, that should serve as a cautionary tale. Look, no one is saying that the dude has to shut up. There are some really uncomfortable conversations that need to be had. But there is a way to do these things. There is a way to do and have these sort of discussions. Promoting a book and movie that is espousing wild theories and anti-Semitic tropes is not the way to do it. And then doubling down on these things lessen the kind of cultural impact that he wants to have. And it makes him look more like an Uncle Ruckus than an Uncle Drew. And while that is the end of the commentary, I do have one final statement. Vote. Election day is November 7th and it is your right and duty as an American. And that is the final word from the wood. And with the music coming up in the background, that means your time here in the Hoodwood is just about done. And I thank you so much again 
for your visit this week. Now, the show email is kjgreen at sportsfromthehoodwood.com. Please send me an email regarding show topics, questions, comments, and both praise and criticism. I welcome your correspondence, and we'll try to get back to you as quickly as I can. Now, the show website is now sportsfromthehoodwood.com. Back catalog of the show, both audio and video form. And I'm starting to populate it with some other stuff and reviews and crazy stuff that I found along the web. Take a, take a look, see, and tell me what you think. You can also catch the podcast on video form on YouTube. Link to the podcast will also be provided on Facebook and Twitter at Black Band Productions and Enterprises. Audio version is on Spotify, Amazon, Stitch, iMusic other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on your favorite, drop me a line and I'll see what I can do to get it provided there. Special thanks to Rage Pictures for providing production to the show. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen from the Hoodwood. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation. Oh.